We'll be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6. Really excited about uh, Vision Sunday, September the 12th, and uh, I'm talking through some things. Actually, I got a few people I need to chat with um, to prepare for that still, but uh, excited about what's ahead for us and uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us as we finish out the year. We'll have another Vision Sunday in January, still with the same theme, but kind of resetting and preparing for the months ahead uh, and the year ahead in January. But um, really, really excited about what we have going on. Uh, we've got some big event in November, a whole weekend worth of things and other things happening, some small changes we'll make to some different things and things like that. So make sure you're here on September 12th. We may give away a million dollars. Um, so make sure you're here just in case that happens. Um, <clears throat> we will feed you lunch. We may give you a million dollars. Um, is that technically a lie? I'm not sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We should have fit that in, right? We still have time. Uh, budget resets two days, so we still got time to add that in. Um, Matthew chapter six. Speaking of money, uh, let's look in Matthew chapter six, starting in verse number one. The Bible says, take heed that ye, that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you that, uh, that they, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. Thine alms may be in secret, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father, which seeth in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. We're looking at this thought. Last week we looked at, you've heard what I say. And this week we're looking at, when ye give, pray, and fast. And what the Bible says, what God says, how to do these things. And hopefully it'll be a help to us this morning. God, I pray for your help this morning as we look into your word. We continue to look through a message that you, Christ, preached while you were on this earth. And so, God, I pray that we would be able to receive from it exactly what you desire for us to get today. I pray that as I present your sermon, Lord, that I do it clearly and that I do it correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here is kind of three topics we're going to look at today. It's touched on in the first 18 verses of chapter 6. Almsgiving, which we don't use that term uh, anymore, prayer and fasting. And we've talked about fasting a fair amount uh, over this year already. But uh, the prophet, I put that word in parentheses and, and um, some sarcasm, Muhammad, he taught that prayer would carry you halfway to paradise. Fasting would get you to the gates of paradise. And almsgiving would get you through the gates of paradise. Yet in these verses, God teaches us the truth about these actions that we have. And again, it's going to always come back to the heart. Because God desires that our heart follows Him. Not that our actions follow Him, but that our heart does. Because actions done for the wrong reasons do not accomplish the purpose behind them that God intended. 
but a heart will lead to godly actions, to right actions, to correct actions, and put us where we need to be. Uh, nothing is going to get you halfway to paradise or to the gates or through the gates other than what Jesus Christ says will be that way. In Ephesians 2, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works, not of actions, not of doing, lest any man should boast. Lest any person would say, I did such a great job in my life that I accomplished and acquired eternity with God. That's not how it works. There's only one way to heaven. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's by the grace of God through faith that you are saved and nothing of yourself. Nothing that you do. No good deed. We're going to be talking about three so-called deeds today. None of them are going to get you to heaven. There are things that after you are saved, after you've placed your faith in Christ, that you should do because God saved you. Not things that you do in order for God to save you. And so let's look at these things this morning. Number one, we're going to look at almsgiving. Um, I've never used the term almsgiving other than preaching the passage on almsgiving. Uh, but what almsgiving is, it's giving. It's giving food, giving money, giving things to help the poor, to help the needy, things of that nature. It's not your offering. It's not your tithe. But it is giving to help. It's a good thing to do. As a matter of fact, in verse number two, it says, Therefore, when thou dost thine alms, when you do it, not if you do it, when you do it. We're going to see that come up multiple times today. But he says it's important that we do these things. It's good to do these things. Uh, but he says there in verse number one, he says, uh, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. He says in verse two that the hypocrites, they sound the trumpet before them as they give their alms, uh, and, and they go out into the streets so that they can be seen here. And God says when we do these things, it is not to be done for other people to see. Uh, in verse 2, it says at the end of verse number 2, they get their reward. They have their reward. Those people that give to help people so that they can be seen helping people, God says they're going to get their reward. The reward is a, a hearty round of applause, a pat on the back, a good job, sir. I don't know about you, but that doesn't go very far in life. You can't go into an employer and turn in your resume and say, these people said I was a good person because I did this. And then that employer look at you and go, okay, I don't care. <laughs> good for you. You can't pull up a video on your phone and say, see, look what I did. And someone other than saying, hey, good job. That's about it. That's all you get for it. But God says if you'll do these things with the right heart, with the right spirit, in the right way, you will get a reward and you'll get it from God the Father. One that will last. One that is worth having. I always uh, cringe when I see the videos on social media of the school kids who say, this poor kid in our school, he doesn't have new shoes, hasn't had new shoes in a long time. So look what we did. And you've got one friend videoing as the other friend hands them the box and they open the box and the kid's excited for the shoes. He needs the shoes. It's good that he got the shoes. 
But the person who gave it to him isn't happy that the kid got shoes. He's happy that he gave him shoes and that someone videotaped it so that they could tell the whole world, look what we did. We gave this kid shoes. You see people helping homeless people and they got their phone out videotaping. See, I'm giving, giving the homeless guy some money, a big, crisp $5 bill. That's going to get him a house. And, uh, you know, videotaping, look what we're doing. Today, in the day and age that we live in, with the technology that we have, less people are doing good deeds for the right reason than ever before. Because now their hope is, is that some celebrity or some person will see the video that they posted of them helping someone, and they're going to get something in turn from the celebrity. They're in it for themselves. They're trying to gain something out of supposedly helping someone else. The Bible tells us why we should give, why we should do almsgiving. There in verse 3, But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, but that thine alms may be given in secret, and that thy father which is in, seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. It's saying that to give alms, to, to give help to the poor, to the needy, we should do it to help the poor and the needy. We should simply do it because we love people. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Help people. Now, in our area of town, we have a, uh, a, a dilemma because there are people who look needy standing on every corner of the street with a sign that says, I'm needy and I need help. And if you're uh, smart and if you are considerate, you understand there are some people who are just there um, because, and there are other people who are truly in great need, and uh, you know, prayerfully consider how you can help them. I carry a cooler with water in my truck, um, especially on days like this past week, and uh, so if I'm at a stop sign and there's a guy standing there with a sign or a lady standing there with a sign, I'll reach in the back, grab a bottle of water, give him a bottle of water. Uh, I don't give money. That's just personally my my philosophy, you can do whatever you feel is right. Um, there are places that help, obviously, with food and shelter and uh, all those kinds of things, needs that are there. And and uh, in most cases, I've found that when you tell people about those, they already know about them and they are purposefully not there. So uh, it kind of is what it is, right? But so sometimes we get this pessimism, this skepticism about us because we've read the stories of these people getting in their cars and driving to their homes and and whatnot from there. And we see these different things. And so we go, well, I'm not going to help that person. They probably don't need it. I'm not going to give them anything. If I give them money, they're going to go buy booze and drugs. We still say booze, by the way. Uh, they're going to go buy alcohol and drugs. Uh, uh, they're going to go do something they're not supposed to do if I give them money. And I think that way as well. And sometimes that causes me to not love that person the way that I'm supposed to love that person. So I've got to find ways. How can I help? How can I love? How can I give to the poor and needy and do it wisely? Because I don't want to help them do something they're not supposed to do. But if they're legitimately hungry, I want to help that. That's something I can help with. If it's something to that effect, there's, there's things I can do to be a help to the poor and to the needy. There are people who are not homeless who are poor and needy. People who aren't standing on the street corner with a sign saying, I need money that are in our community that need help. And we can find ways to help them. We can do things uh, like that. God says we should do those sorts of things, but do it with the right motives, with the right heart. You don't go around telling everybody, look what I did. I have this thing about thank you cards. I'm really bad, by the way, at writing thank you cards. My goodness, I'm bad at writing 
birthday cards. But uh, I'm bad at writing thank you cards. And I kind of <laughs> we go around, around and around in our house on this. But uh, if they are expecting a thank you card, then why did they even give me whatever it is they gave me? <laughs> Aren't they just supposed to give it to me and that be it? I mean, I should say thank you. Don't get me wrong. It's polite. I, it's not wrong to send a thank you card. It's nice. But I don't give a gift expecting someone to send me a thank you card in return. I mean, I'd more rather send me a gift card in return, not a thank you card, but whatever. <laughs> send me a text. Thank you. Good. All's good the world. You see, the problem is a lot of times we do so-called good things, but we do it with the motive of making ourselves feel better. And one of the things that makes us feel better is if someone videotapes or knows that we did it. So whether we videotape it or we just go around telling people, hey, I really helped this person out this week. Well, then did we do it for the right reasons? Did we accomplish what God desires for us to accomplish with helping people in need? And by the way, there are people who in need who are not poor. There's different, different categories of need, is there not? And there are times where we just don't have that someone doesn't have the time to do something. And so you say, hey, can I help you? Can I do this? There are times when someone is discouraged and we come alongside and we encourage them. There are times where we can tell someone just needs a little bit of prayer and we, we go up to them and say, hey, can I pray for you? Those are things as well that are done for someone in need. Not necessarily wealth need, poor need, but something that is just helpful. Giving to help someone else. Our focus should not be on people's applause, pat on the backs, or likes on social media but it should be simply on what God sees. And it says there in verse number four, that our father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. God doesn't hide his blessings. He says, I know what you've done. I can see your heart. I can see your actions. I can see your mind. I can see your love for your neighbor. And I'm going to bless you for it. And guess what? He doesn't bless you and say, no one's ever going to see this blessing. No, he's going to bless you openly. What does that mean? That means God's going to provide for you. God's going to take care of you. And your co-workers are going to see you're different from them. And they're going to ask you, how, why, whatever it may be. And the return is, God's blessed me. It is amazing what we don't realize people see in our lives. When we're following God and we're doing as God told us to do and God blesses us, people see it. It's different. Something, something is different in your life that people can see in it and it's a result of what God is doing for you. And God does those things for you when your heart is right, not just your actions. And so when I give, when I help, I don't do it so that other people say, good job. And that's hard, isn't it? Because naturally we want the applause. I've been in ministry my entire life. There's not been a day in my life where I have not been involved in ministry. And I have seen people who do things only so that people congratulate them. Only so that people will see, hey, they're good people. And guess what? They're never happy. They're happy for a moment. 
as someone says, hey, I saw you do that. That was really good. But they're not happy for very long. But the person who trusts God, the person who follows God, that person is satisfied, fulfilled, happy, blessed, as it may be. Number two today, let's look at prayer. God says, when ye pray, verse number five, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites. There's that word again, are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. There's that phrase again. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. There's that phrase again. How, how about that? This is a very practical teaching. There, you will not find more practical teaching on prayer than when Jesus Christ teaches on prayer. You remember at one point the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. God is more than happy to do so. So he tells us a, a couple different stories here uh, to kind of help us with it. We see here in verse number 5, he says, When thou prayest, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues that they may be seen of men. It's not to say that you should not pray in public. That's not what this verse is saying. But what it's saying is, is you don't pray to be seen to be praised for your prayer. These religious folks in the times here that we're reading in Matthew 6, they would stand out in the street and loudly proclaim their prayer to God. We see other illustrations in Scripture of people doing this in the synagogues and, and uh, praying a prayer that made sure everyone else heard. But in verse 6 he says, uh, Go into your closet. And what I've read, the, uh, the folks in this time, they would have a, what we would call a closet. And sometimes it would be used for storage, but it was a place of privacy. If you think of the houses back then, they didn't have it set up like we have it today with rooms and kitchens and bedrooms and bathrooms and all those kinds of stuff. So it was more of an open layout, so to say. And so they would have this small space that was used for privacy. And Jesus says, when you pray, go somewhere private. And pray in secret to your Father, who will hear you and reward you openly. Personal prayer should be personal. It's important that we find a time when a quiet place with no distractions, where we can go and not just talk to God, but listen to God. It's hard to do that in a crowded room. Now, you can still pray in a crowded room. You can still pray in, in public when you're out to eat or something like that. You can still pray with people around. You can pray with your family, all those kinds of things. It's not, it's not again, not what this is saying. But there is a time where you need to be in a quiet place where you can talk to God and you can hear God talk to you as well. We are supposed to be praying without ceasing, the Bible tells us, on continual uh, act of prayer. But here he's telling us the importance of this, this place of quietness. This place where you can go and be alone with God. We need it. We need it. 
it's funny, uh, there's once or twice a year, my wife and kids will go somewhere. They'll go to see family or go to see friends or whatever it may be, and I'll be in the house by myself. I don't realize how quiet it is until they get back. And then Katie's like, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just kidding, not Katie. The boys, the, the boys, man, as soon as they come through the door, it's just yelling and talking and noise everywhere. And I think every time when they get home, I think, boy, it was really quiet here. It's that quietness that we need to have with God. Where we don't have the distraction because as an adult, especially, there's distractions everywhere. Maybe not bad distractions, right? Kids, spouse, whatever. But we need a time where we can sit quietly and talk with God. Car is a Good place to do that. Of course, you want to keep your eyes open, but uh, it's a good place to do that. But maybe you find a place in your house. I know people literally go into their closets and pray because it's still a place of privacy. Most people don't gather in closets unless it's like hurricane, or not hurricane tornadoes. But nonetheless, find a quiet place to pray. So God says, don't pray like the hypocrites do so everybody can see you. Pray uh, in secret. Have a place of privacy for you and the Lord. And he says there at the end of verse 6, that thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. The Bible teaches over and over again that if we are right with God and the request that we have is godly, God will give us that request. If it matches up with God's will, he will provide. Ask and it shall be given. And so he says the father that sees in secret rewards thee openly. Again, this is not talking about where we share our needs with one another and pray for one another. This is not talking about that saying that it's wrong for us to pray in public, but we don't pray to be seen. We pray to be answered. That's what prayer is for. Prayer is asking, and the answer to prayer is receiving what we've prayed for. Verse 7 and 8 goes into the principle of prayer. It says in verse 7, When ye pray, use not vain repetitions, as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. These recited prayers, these, um, you know, uh, you see it a lot within Catholicism, recited prayers, these memorized prayers. God says that's not prayer. If you read the, um, the story of the prophet on the mountain uh, with the prophets of Baal, and, uh, and he was sitting there, as we always assume, mocking them to some degree. But uh, they were dancing and they were chanting and they were cutting themselves, trying to get Baal to send fire down to their altar. And those were chants and repetitions, things they had memorized and practiced. Yet, when the prophet of God prayed, it was very simple. It was not memorized and recited. It was, for, and I'm paraphrasing, God sent fire. And God sent fire. God says these, these recordings, these repetitions, they are empty. They do nothing. Don't do those things. And in verse 8, he says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask of them. He says, I know. I'm just waiting on you. Yeah, I know you need that bill paid. When are you going to ask me? Yes, I know you need some answers. When are you going to ask me? I know you have the need. Come to me for it. Then he tells us the pattern of prayer. And he gives us a, a, a sample prayer. This is not a prayer that we ought to be reciting 
expecting God to answer anything. This is a model, an example that is given to us to teach us how to pray. And it says there in verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. What does he tell us here? Number one, pray to our Father. If you are saved, if you've placed your faith in Christ, God is your Father. That's a relationship that is unique. Take advantage of the relationship that you have with God. He says, pray to our Father, our Father which art in heaven. Think about who you're praying to and the relationship that you have with Him. Don't be careless. Be reverent. Now listen, a prayer can be simple, right? We've talked about it before. If you're drowning and, and you're screaming to the lifeguard and you say, help me, that's, that's a prayer, and sometimes that's all we can get out. But when you're praying, think about who you're praying to. Pay attention uh, to that. Pay attention to God's purpose before yours. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Think about God's will and not your own. Think about accomplishing what God desires for you. Verse 11, ask for daily provisions. Give us this day our daily bread. We are supposed to pray about our needs. We're supposed to go to God and ask for our needs. And then we're supposed to watch God provide. And He provides in different ways, doesn't He? He provides through jobs. He provides through um, opportunities and things like that. Crank it down just a little bit for me. the provision that we need to pray for. Then, in verse number 12, uh, we need to understand our need for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I don't know about you, but in most cases when I go to prayer, I've got something that I can ask forgiveness for. <laughs> right? Um, if you drive to work, you've probably got a few instances you need to ask forgiveness for, especially with the school traffic that's kicked back up again and the construction traffic, and those kinds of things. They're going, okay, Lord, I need, I need forgiven. Uh, had a few thoughts on the way into work that, that weren't great. Um, if you have coworkers, you probably need to ask for forgiveness several times throughout the day. Um, if you're married, you probably need to ask forgiveness several times throughout the day. If you have kids, you probably need to ask forgiveness several times throughout the day. Maybe you're way better than me, and that's very possible, but I know when I go to the Lord in prayer, I usually have something that I need to say, God, forgive me. When we pray, that's a good thing to look at as the example is given to us here by God. Then in verse 13, again, it's daily guidance. He says in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. It's understanding that God is in control. Lead me, Lord. Lead me not into where I am tempted. Lead me into deliverance from these things, victory in these things. We can't deliver ourselves. We need God to deliver us. Then we see in verse 14 and verse 15, he kind of goes back and reiterates some things from the sample prayer. He says, For if ye forgive men 
their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will you, uh, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Isn't this interesting? God says, you want forgiveness? Forgive other people. Do you hold a grudge? Are there people that you hate? Are there people that you felt have wronged you? There is. Have you forgiven them? Because when you go to God and say, God, I said this, I did this, I thought this, please forgive me. God looks at your life and he says, but you're not forgiving anyone else. And that's a sin. You're not asking forgiveness from that sin. You can't be forgiven until you forgive. When we get these people that come through our lives and, and they do something and we feel, whether it's true or not, we feel hurt, we feel upset, we feel angered. Maybe we don't think about them much anymore, but we've never forgiven them. And God says, and he says it clear as day for us in verse number 15, If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Do you feel like the president has done you wrong? Have you forgiven him? So well, I don't know him. I'll never meet him. I'll never be able to confront him. Okay, have you forgiven him? That's a hard one sometimes. But God says, if you won't forgive them their trespasses, I won't forgive you yours. Boy, that's humbling. That's kind of terrifying, to be honest with you. Because I don't know about you, but I like to not like people sometimes. You ever been there? I kind of like hating that person. Makes me feel good inside. Maybe I'm just really dark and no one else is like that, but God says you want to be forgiven, you better go forgive other people. That's prayer, a pattern of prayer, the uh, principle of prayer, place of prayer, all given for us here. Then thirdly and lastly this morning, let's look quickly at fasting. And I know we've talked, we had a whole sermon on this not too horribly long ago, so we'll look at it in verse 16. The Bible says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Fairly I say unto you, that ye have, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appearest not unto men to fast, but unto the Father, which seeth in secret, as thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Again, it's a matter of the heart. Everything in... The Sermon on the Mount is a matter of the heart. And he says, when you fast, again, not if, but when, when you fast, do it this way. Fasting, giving up something for an amount of time to spend praying for something. It doesn't have to be food, by the way. My dad's former pastor in Tennessee, uh, they did a fast for a week. They had a week of revival meeting coming up, so they did a fast for a week. And each day, it was something different. And uh, so one day it was a lunch. The next day I, it was cell phones. The next day it was TV. The next day it was something. And they had something for every day of the week to spend an hour just praying for the meetings they were about to have. I thought that's really unique. It's really interesting. Can you put your phone down for an hour when you're not sleeping? 
It's hard, honestly. Can you go without a meal? Now, I skip breakfast uh, most days, so I don't count that as fasting. It's just me being too lazy to get up early enough to eat food. I'm not lazy. That's smart. I'm getting as much sleep as I can. That's healthy. Anyways, uh, and I hope that my boss provides breakfast when I get there, and I will eat it if he does. But anyways, nonetheless, I don't consider skipping breakfast fasting. Now, if I spent the time praying instead of eating, that's different. If I set aside time in my day where I'm normally doing something else, and I put that aside, and now for the purpose of prayer, there's fasting there. Now, obviously, here in fasting, they were talking about food. They would deny themselves food. And, uh, and it, by the way, that causes physical change. It does. When you're hungry, you usually get a little grumpy. And there's science behind it. And God created science. There's science behind it where if you don't have the right amount of whatever, I don't know what it is, uh, then you start, you know, you feel weak, you feel tired, you feel whatever. And, uh, and that's where it leads to that, that disfigurement that they're talking about there in Matthew chapter 6. But they says when the hypocrites, when they fast, they disfigure their faces. They disfigure their uh, faces and they appear unto men to fast. They make sure everyone knows, I am fasting. So they want to make sure people, they, they look so that people say, what's wrong? And they go, oh, nothing's wrong. I'm just fasting for Jesus. I am super spiritual and super religious. That's why I look this way. God says, when you fast, anoint thine head, wash thy face, and make sure people don't know about it. Because the purpose behind it is not for between you and men, it's between you and God. It's about your heart. Am I doing this so that other people will applaud me? Because if you do, people will applaud you. People will think, wow, that guy's spiritual, he's fasting. God says, there's your reward. Somebody thinks you're a good person. But if you'll do it in secret, I will reward thee. I'll reward thee openly. And it'll be a true reward and not just a pat on the back and a good job, pal. So much better. When we do something spiritual, do we have to let everyone know? The I'm suffering for Jesus mentality. God says, this is a private matter between you and me. Let's keep it that way. So much of the Christian life is anti what we desire. Naturally, we want people to say, thank you. Good job. And it's good to do that, by the way. If you see someone uh, um, doing something that's helpful, tell them thank you. It's good to do that. But when it comes to us doing the action, why are we doing the action? Naturally, we want people to know and see. But God says, this is between me and you. Are you serving me or are you serving yourself? The Bible says you can't do both. You got to pick one. It all comes back to the heart. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And it's harder, I say, I believe, it to be harder today than ever because it's easy to be seen today. I have friends 
that when they have the opportunity to lead someone to the Lord, they take a picture with them and they post it up on social media. And I have told them, and this is just a personal opinion. I think I'm right, but nonetheless, it's a personal opinion. So why do you have to be in the picture? Can't you just say someone got saved today and we all rejoice? Even if you post a picture of the person, can we rejoice? Why do you have to be there? What did you do? You fulfilled the Great Commission? Or part of the Great Commission? And you preached the gospel to someone who needed it? That's good. We need to be doing that. Sometimes it just feels like we want everyone to know, look what I did. When the reality was, God did all the hard work. And Jesus Christ died on the cross. Jesus Christ was beaten, bruised for my sins, for my iniquities. What did you do? You did what you were told to do. Good job. And again, I don't think they're bad people. I just wanted to make sure we're aware. Why are we doing what we're doing? When, not if, when ye give, pray, and fast, do it biblically. Do it the way God intended for it to be done. Lord, I pray for your help this morning. So I know we have a room full of good people. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we fail. Yes, we falter. But Lord, generally, we are good people. But God, we know that we have failed and we continue to fail over and over again. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today that is yet to accept the gift of salvation, that today they would see their need for salvation and Lord, they'd be saved. God, I pray for those that have been saved. Lord, that we would live a life that you desire for us to live. And that when we do what you've told us to do, Lord, we'll do it with the right heart, the right motives, and in the right way. Lord, that we'd follow the Bible's pathway for our lives. But we can't do it without your help. We're naturally prideful. We're naturally selfish. God, you tell us that we have to die to ourselves on a daily basis so that we can live for you. God, today I pray that you'd break down those walls. God, I pray that you'd break down those hindrances that are keeping us from walking the way you want us to walk. So that, Lord, when we help people, we do it biblically. That when we pray, we do it biblically. That when we fast or do any religious so-called action, Lord, I pray that we would do it biblically, the right heart, the right motive. God, I still just come back to this point that you mentioned. Have we forgiven our trespassers, those that have done us wrong? We always expect you to forgive us, but so oftentimes we refuse to forgive others. And I know you've shown me throughout my life that when we hold on to those grudges, we're missing out on so many opportunities and blessings. So God, help us. That when we do what you tell us to do, we will do it the way you tell us to do it as well. God, we pray for your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're able, would you